Uh, I'm glad you joined us. Uh, it's a pleasure having you here this morning. I must confess, <clears throat> I did wake up a little late this morning than usual. So, you know, it's that startled feeling. You wake up and say, oh, I need to go, I need to go, you know. And you run out and get into the car somehow. You're on, I was on 84. And I was like, you know, looking into the rearview mirror saying, did I brush my hair? Did I, you know? And, and then I'm like trying to just do this. And uh, the reason I'm saying all this is because of, of the message again, it's very relevant. It's that I was looking in the mirror and just trying to adjust my hair, saying, oh, maybe, okay, this will be fine. And suddenly I get this prompt in my spirit. It says, um, oh, you're looking good. That's all good. But did you check yourself spiritually this morning? Did you dress up spiritually? Meaning, did you, you know, that's all it said to me. That's the voice that said, did you, did you dress up spiritually? And the obvious answer was no, because, you know, got out of bed, did my things, and in the car, and oh, we're here. And, and uh, you know, we are talking about the Holy Spirit last week and this week, too. And I want you to know this personhood of the Holy Spirit is very real. He is with us. He talks to us, and he is prompting me this morning on 84 that I need to spend a few moments with my father. And that's exactly what I did. I was able to communicate, talk to him, you know, set my... Uh, spirit right with him, and that's, uh, that's the person of the Holy Spirit. And I, I just wanted to say that, and, and a few things came to my mind, because we were talking about, you know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and its function with us, and, uh, you know, he was telling me this morning that, you know, you don't do this out of fear of sinning. You see, they said sometimes we get into this mode and we haven't even reached the message. This is on my heart this morning. You get into this mode where you have to do things, you know, oh, I miss reading my Bible. Oh, I miss praying. <gasps> Ooh, you know, I'm going to get zapped by God. I'm a sinner. Oh, you know, I, what a terrible Christian I am. I didn't read my Bible this morning. You know, and I'm telling you, that's not what it is. The Holy Spirit was telling me this morning, that's not what it is. He made an analogy in my mind about my marriage. He said, you don't go and show love to your wife or an act of love to your wife and then say, I'm doing this to save my marriage. It's because, you know, I need to be married. You know, I need to be married. You know, you're not doing this because you're worried about your marriage. You are married. You're in a good state. You're doing this to demonstrate your love for your spouse or for your loved one. That's what God was telling me. It's not that you're, you know, I don't want this to be an act of, you know, oh, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm a sinner. But he wants me to do it because of my love for him. Can you get the difference? On one side, you're doing this out of fear and out of regulation and out of legalism, or you have to do this, 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 this. On the other side, you're doing it because you love someone. So if you go to a marriage seminar and the next day you're doing all these things so because, the ma you know, it's said you better do this and this and this and you're not doing it because of love, then there's something that you need to check in that relationship. But if you're doing it because you look at that someone and say, I love you, here's what I'd like to do for you, I love you, I want to spend some time with you, that's the difference. Because the, the victory that we have is already there. We are married to Christ. He has once and for all settled this issue about us going to heaven. We don't need to worry about that. We don't need to have this fear of being a sinner anymore. So let's walk in that freedom 
but let's walk in that love relationship with God. So I got that off my chest, but it's part of the thing. So let's get to this whole, uh, the issue of the Holy Spirit, because that's exactly what I experienced this morning. So the Holy Spirit, like we saw last week, is a person equal to God in every way. You know, he is not to be diminished in any form or manner because he is, he is God. We've seen that he is holy, he's eternal, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, and he's omniscient, meaning he knows all these things. And he, these are the attributes of God. And last week we saw verse by verse, which kind of attributes all these things to the Holy Spirit. We also read in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. Remember the scanner things? He finds you and you, you know. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that, you, that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So that's again the Holy Spirit in us. We also saw in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, And when he come, <clears throat> when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So I want to make sure that you understood that. The Holy Spirit convicts you and me of something that we've done, a sin that... that you know, separates us from God. He convicts us. He penetrates the deepest, deepest area in our soul, in our heart, and convicts us. And that job is not yours to do for another. It is the Holy Spirit's work, right? That penetrating power is the Holy Spirit's work. So he convicts us, and then he reminds us of righteousness. The righteousness is not your right doing. He's not telling you every morning, get up, read the Bible. You know, it's not that act or thing. The righteousness that he's talking about is your right standing with God, which is forever because of what Christ has done on the cross. You did nothing to, do, you did nothing to deserve that. You had no part in it. This was God, and the Father, God the Father and Jesus the Son acting together to make a way for you. So your righteousness, the Holy Spirit reminds you every morning, comes from the righteousness that God has placed on you, not because what you're going to do that morning or that day. So he reminds you of that. So when you goof up, when you fail, when you fall, you don't feel like you've lost the righteousness. You are always righteous in God's presence because that is a work of the cross. And then the last thing, he reminds you of judgment, which is to tell you, not the judgment on you, He's telling you the judgment because the rule of the world is judged. That means Satan is judged. He is defeated. He is no more. He has no victory over your life. So don't stand in some, in some false form of, oh, I'm going to be judged and I'm a you know, guilty person. No, he's not talking about you. He's, talking, he's reminding you that Satan has judged. He is done with. So don't let him have a hold on your life. All right? So remember those things. Those are definitely what we want to... Remember when the Holy Spirit is talked about. We also reminded <clears throat> last week that the Holy Spirit is, is like Jesus. The verse says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. If you see, you know, Jesus tells us this. And if God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are similar, then when you, if you have seen Jesus, you know, you read about him in the Gospels, you see how he was when he, was, when he lived on earth. If you've seen Jesus, then you have seen the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what? Jesus was loving compassionate, 
caring. You know, he, he, he was not out of control. He was not this person who was just forceful and, you know, beating people up. And, you know, we have this image. When you say Holy Spirit, people tend to, uh, you know, fear it in some way, fear him in some way. But the Holy Spirit is peaceful. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is caring. He will never force his way unless you request that he comes into your life. We also remember that he's a helper, he's a teacher, he's a guide, and he is your source of power. So I want to talk about a little bit about how to receive the Holy Spirit. So from what I've understood and seen in the Scripture, there are a few steps to this. So let's look at Acts 2, 37 to 38. <clears throat> it says, when the people heard this, so here um, Peter is just after Jesus had resurrected, Peter was uh, with all the other disciples. They were in this room waiting for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and, and they were filled with power, and Peter went out and started speaking to the people. And so it says, when they heard this, they were cut, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So here's what I'd love to show you. The words, they were cut to the heart, that's like a very penetrating expression, correct? It looks like these people, they were standing there and someone just kind of pierced right in. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. No man can go in and do that. No woman can go in and do that. How many times have you experienced, or maybe you, you've seen it for yourself or experienced it for yourself, when God's presence, God's Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are you are in tears, you're on your knees. You know, I've seen big men just get down on their knees and cry before God. That's not because of what I said or someone else said. It's the Holy Spirit being able to penetrate and pierce that person's life. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life. And it says they were cut to the heart. Interestingly, <clears throat> the word used, you know, for the Holy Spirit piercing the hearts of men, you know, that word piercing is the same word that they use uh, when the soldiers had pierced the body of Christ on the cross. You know, in the Greek text, it's the same word, apparently, that, that it's used for piercing the, with a spear on the side of Christ. But they say that word piercing is less in magnitude or less in weight than the word that's used for the Holy Spirit piercing your heart. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is when he works in your heart and my heart. So what we need to do if we want the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and other people's lives, we're praying for people to come to know, you know Jesus and to have conviction of where they are, all you need to do is start praying, asking the Holy Spirit to penetrate their heart, to cut their heart so that they'll come to a point and say, brothers, what shall we do? So Peter replied in verse 38, repent, that's the first step, second step, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and what does it say? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first step. Here's another one that I want to show you. Luke 11, 9, 9 to 13. It says, so I, ask, so I say to you, ask and it will be given you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, say, here, take a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's the next thing. You need to ask. All right? So it says, ask, and it will be given to you. And, and Jesus says, your Father in heaven will give it to you. John 7, 37 to 39, it says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he, mean, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, the Scripture says, until Jesus, Jesus, until I go up to the Father, the Holy Spirit cannot come. So he was making reference to the Holy Spirit here. But he said, come to me and drink. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. So here are some things I want you to recognize. You have to be thirsty. You have to want this. You've got to, like, want water and then drink. But if you look at water and say... Not thirsty, not going to drink. This is not somehow going to get into you. Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit is a question that you need to ask yourself. If you are, Jesus says, come and drink. It's a very simple analysis that Jesus is giving us because only if you are thirsty would you want to drink. No one can force this upon you. It is not a function where we're coming and saying, you know, it's not like we're opening your mouth and forcing this down. That's not how this works. Jesus says, if you are thirsty, anyone who is thirsty, let him come and drink. Here's the next bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, do you not know that your bodies are, the temp are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Then in Romans 6.13 it says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. So here's the next step that you need to do to have the Holy Spirit function and work within you is to stop offering your bodies as an instrument of sin, but instead offer it to God who has bought you from death to life. It says, offer every part of your body to Him as an instrument of righteousness. So when you go back today, I want you to take a few minutes and talk and think and ask yourself about this. 
You need to just, first of all, check if you're, you know, if you repented, have you turned around? Have you walked away from things? Have you declared to God that you are sorry that you need Jesus in your life? Have you made that step? If so, then have you been baptized? And then it says, ask, you will be given. And you have to be thirsty. You want to be able to get the whole gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, come to me and drink. And lastly, it says, stop offering your bodies as acts of sin, but instead turn it around and give it to God for acts of righteousness. This is what the Holy Spirit, once you have this, a few steps in place, you will find that the Holy Spirit is able to work in your life because the Holy Spirit really comes into our lives to regenerate our lives, to change us, to cause rebirth. You know, we use this term born again sometimes very loosely. But that's the purpose, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to come into our lives and to cause this rebirth and change us. I want to take us to that chapter where Jesus talks about this. John chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. John 3, 9 to 10 says, How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. Do you not understand these things? So it's amazing how Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you know, why is it that you don't understand this thing of the Holy Spirit working in someone's life or being born again from the inside? You are a teacher of the Old Testament. You know, in those days they had the Old Testament. Why don't you know these things? So what Jesus was really saying is, that the work of the Spirit is actually demonstrated in the Old Testament. So I want to take us to those chapters a, few, a bit. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Now this is a function of the Holy Spirit, the act of circumcision or the act of removing things from the heart that's not good. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, and that was demonstrated in Deuteronomy. Look at in Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 to 20. It says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Isn't that amazing that it's there in the Old Testament? That although the Holy Spirit has come to us after Jesus left earth, but Jesus talked to the Holy Spirit, even, the, even in the Old Testament, that he was there. Of course, his function was limited. He would come and he would go. He would come and go. But the work of the Holy Spirit was seen in the Old Testament. So Jesus, I mean, in Ezekiel, it says, God says to Ezekiel, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Just a moment. I had to take a brown paper bag, so... It's not as big as Pastor Ron's, but it's there. I will give them an undivided heart, put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Does this look like a heart to you? Sure, something like that could fit somewhere in here. A little big for me, but... Perfect. Big heart. A heart of stone. 
What's the characteristics of this? Is it pliable? Can I, can I shape it up? Can I bend it? Does it penetrate? Can I do anything with this rock? It's hard. Nothing can get in. It's cold. And God says, I will remove from them a heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. So I want to talk a little bit about, about hardening of your heart. So there's a medical condition that uh, we know of. It's called arteriosclerosis. Uh, it's, a, it's a portion of your heart. The arteries of your heart tend to get really hard instead of being pliable and soft and letting the blood flow through and it's nice and easy for the blood to work its way up. Instead, it gets really hard. It's, you know, tough and it's surrounded by plaques and, you know, sometimes cholesterol is a reason, sometimes aging is a reason. There are lots of reasons for this, but over time, your arteries get really hard. It's called arteriosclerosis and, and, and it's one of the leading, actually, it's the leading cause of death. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in this country. Now, surgeons go in very craftfully and actually cut off areas of the arteries and, or put in stents and open it up, or they kind of bypass. You've heard of bypass surgeries. You've heard of angioplasties, which is they put a balloon in and they open it up. You know, all this is so that the, the blood flow to the heart can revive again and the heart can work. This hardening, the heart can actually, uh, you know, sort of calcify, if you want to use that term. But God wasn't really talking about the anatomy of your heart. and your, He was talking about your spiritual hardness. He was talking about the condition of your heart spiritually. Is it hard to the point where God cannot actually, God cannot influence it. He cannot do anything with it. His words are like falling on on the wall, it's like there's nothing he can do. You're immune to God's words, to God's ways. The Spirit cannot do anything with this. You know, in Exodus, you read about Pharaoh, how when Moses came to him and said, let God's people go, he said, no. And God, you know, he said, no. And he kept hardening the word. The Bible says Pharaoh kept hardening his heart against God. He had a massive case of arteriosclerosis. And God had to show him in a very strong way how he is God and pretty much brought him to his knees. See, in the book of Ezekiel in those days, this was about 600 years ago, you know, the Bible says in, in, in Ezekiel's days, the people were hard-hearted. They were not open to the message that God was giving them through his prophets. Ezekiel was preaching, some of the other prophets were preaching, and the people were just rejecting it one after the other. They just wanted to continue to do their own thing. They chose not to listen to the prophets. They chose to do their own thing. And God says, you have hard hearts. You have a heart of stone. Here's the other thing that I recognize in this passage of scripture. Do you think this hardness of heart came in overnight? Was it something they were nice and pliable one day, next day they were gone? You know, these were because of a series of decisions. These were because of a series of choices. It was one step that led to the next, and one step that led to the next, and ultimately their heart was hardened. 
It is not something that happens overnight. It's a series, it's a slow fade, as some people call it. It's a one step after another. Your disobedience, your walking away from God, you choosing not to listen to Him, you choosing to turn, your way of, turn yourself away from Him, those are all steps towards your heart hardening towards Him. So my friends, I want you this morning to think about this. Is God telling you something? Is there something in your life that He's telling you? Then don't harden your hearts. Don't keep taking a step in this direction where you're choosing to become immune to God's Word. But God offers them hope. It says again, I'm just going to read that again. It says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. He did just not say, you know what, that's it. You guys, you're made of stone and rock. I'm, I'm done, I'm walking away. He said, no, I'm putting in you a new spirit. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that you can follow my decrees and you will be my people and I will be your God. God wasn't really going to step in and do a small, you know, angioplasty, like put a small stand to do a bypass. No, no. He was talking about, well, let me have you watch this video. For those who are queasy, just take it easy. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be long, but it's amazing, you know, the amount of scientific approaches we've made in our lifetime. So I want you to watch this and think about what God is going to do. So this is a heart transplant. An actual way of taking one's heart out of their chest cavity and replacing it with another functioning heart. That's amazing. I, I mean, I know some people shy away from these things, but I thought it was a good analogy to show you how God is taking out one heart and replacing it with another. He's talking about a heart transplant, not like fixing, you know, uh, as, as crafty as that is. This is an amazing advancement in our time where the surgeons can skillfully take out one heart and replace it with another. The amount of, you know, perfect timing, everything has to be so good. And, you know, in my final year, I had to uh, do a project, and one of it was on a replacement of a valve, and I had to go in and uh, do the procedures for, you know, physical therapy and their follow-up and their post-op involvement. So I get up and personal to take pictures of the heart, and it was amazing to see God's, God's creation and how God has put this, you know, heart in us and how it works. But it says, I will remove from them a heart of stone and put in them a heart of flesh. You know, God says in John 14, 16, he says, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be with you. 
This is the Holy Spirit whom God has sent to us. He sent the Holy Spirit to us so he can make our, our, you know, he can turn this heart of stone into a heart of flesh so that the Spirit can work in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, if you've not asked God for the Holy Spirit in you, then this heart of stone gets only worse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 says this. This is Paul. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, you show, he's telling the people, that you are a letter from Christ. He's looking at the people and saying, you show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. What is the first thing that comes to you when you, when you hear this word, tablets and writings? And what's written on tablets? What was one of the references in the Old Testament? Wasn't it the law, the Ten Commandments? It was written on stone. It was written on tablets. The law was written on a stone. It was external. It was meant to influence your life. But, it, but all it did was it brought awareness to your sinfulness. It did not take away the problem. In other words... Prior to God saying, do not take your neighbor's things or do not steal, prior to that, someone could come and just take this, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> now, once God said, do not steal, do not take what belongs to others, suddenly when you go to take it, you're like, oops, I shouldn't be doing this. So the law brought awareness to your sin and to your condition. And that was the external, that was what was written on tablets of stone. It caused problems for you. And that's why Jesus says, I will send you the Holy Spirit who he will write on your hearts and it will change you from the inside. So I'm going to read you a series of verses. It's from different parts of the Bible, but they all they all talk about the same thing. So I want you to hear it like it's one chapter, one, you know, uh, one series of verses. And it talks about how it is not by law that you are saved, but it is by grace. And it's really, really important that you understand this. So I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll go through a series of verses. It's from different chapters, but listen to it more than, you know, and it's available to you, you know, later if you need it. But right now, I just want you to listen to it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscience, conscious of our sin. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith. In Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one 
will be justified. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Did you hear that? Isn't it amazing that the scripture tells us that you are not living under the law, you are living under the righteousness. You're living because you have faith in Jesus Christ and that is your standing with God. If you try to live by the law, you are not going to move anywhere. Romans 7, 1 to 6, it says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has no authority over someone, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? So here's the truth. The law has control over you only as long as you live. The moment you die, the moment the breath of you leaves and goes to God, the law has no control over you. So you and I, we are under the law just as long as we live. So as long as we have life, the law is there for us. I mean, it is there to show us what sin is. But as, when you die, it's gone. For example, he says, Paul says, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to a husband. Now, Paul is talking about being married to the law, not, not the in-law, the law. He's talking about the law. So he says, for example, by law, a man, a married woman is bound to a husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relationship with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my dear brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. So here's how I explained it last night. I said the moment you were born, you know how babies, when you whack them on their bottom to give a cry, it was really your way of saying, I do, to the law. You were married to the law as soon as you were born. When you die, you're excluded from the law. But as long as you have life and breath, the moment you come into this world, and the moment you started breathing and walking, you were married to the law. But then it says, because of what Christ did, it says, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to him, belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law at work at us, so that we bore the fruit of death. But now, by dying to what was once bound to us, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. When you accepted Christ into your heart, when you accept Christ into your heart, this relationship that you had with the law is broken because you've died physically, you've died spiritually to the law. And the law has no control over you. That's why when you see the baptism, we, we talk about how it's your, it's your death, your burial, and your resurrection. So when you accept Christ, it says through the finished work of the Christ, you have physically or spiritually died 
And Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But I live, the life I now live, I live in Christ. So you are actually dead to the law. Law comes looking for you, you're not to be found because you're dead. Like one of those special ops people, you know, you see in movies. Died in 1965. What are you doing here? I mean, like, people have gone, disappeared. So when they come looking for you, when law comes looking for you, they cannot see you. You're dead to the law because of your work, because of the work of Christ. And he has covered you. He is now married to you. You belong to him. So when you stand up, when you wake up, when you walk, remember this, that you are walking every day under the grace of Jesus Christ and not under the law. It says in Romans 6, 14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. In Galatians 5.18 it says, But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So here's my plea this morning. I want us to really take a look at the personhood of the Holy Spirit and think about how He can influence our lives by asking Him Him. He is going to be able to help us walk every day in the Spirit under grace, and not under the law. You know, God's way of righteousness is yielding and not struggling. It is not a situation where you're struggling to do this, struggling to do that, and walk in this and walk in that. Oh, I need to keep my way pure. I need to do this. That's not what it is. That struggle is not what God's righteousness is about. God's righteousness is about yielding yielding to the Holy Spirit that tells you, you are victorious, you have control over this, God is watching over you, He will give you the best, He is planning to prosper you, He will give you the victory, that's the voice you want to hear when you walk in every day. Letting the Holy Spirit take over you, not using your own willpower in circumstances, but it is by yielding to the Holy Spirit and not struggling. Also, God's way of righteousness is not effort. It's union. It's not effort, but it's union. Let's look at John chapter 15. It says, I am the true wine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Effort, not, not effort, but union. I am the wine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love that because it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
So you, here you are, here I am, on our daily struggles. God, I want to get rid of this habit, or I want to do this. I want to be this type of a person. I want to, you know, excel in this area. I want to do this, and we're struggling, and we're, you know. And God says, it's not all that. All you need to do is remain in me. Have the Holy Spirit work in your lives. Let your heart be a heart of flesh where he can talk to you, where he can change you from the inside. And then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's not your works. It's not your efforts. It is by yielding to the Holy Spirit. So this is how the Holy Spirit works within you. He empowers you to walk into freedom. He empowers you to walk every day in life and not in death. He, walked, he tells you to walk in victory because he can. He can influence what's going on in the heart. It's the same spirit that rose Jesus up from the dead. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit is the one that came and rose Jesus up from the dead. And it's that same spirit that resides in you and me. Don't you think he has the power to help you and me overcome these things that we want? Don't you think he has the power to help us face the situations that we have in front of us? Don't you think that he has the power to help us remove these mountains that's come across our way? But I think we tend to shy away from that. This morning, I want you to realize that it is the Spirit who is able to do that for you. The Holy Spirit as a person of God is able to. Look at what happens in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 12. It's talking about David. He says, he gave him the plans of, of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all its surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. The Spirit of God had put on David's mind how the temple should be. He gave him the design. He gave him everything. This can be in your life and my life. Not that we're going to go around building temples. But he will give you a plan for what you need to do. Are you facing a particular situation in your life? Relationships, be it relationships, work, circumstances around you. The Spirit of God can give you a plan. He can reveal to you what you need to do. Or like Joseph. Genesis 41, 38, it says, So Pharaoh asked them, Can anyone find... A can, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God is? Because you know why Joseph proved himself in front of Pharaoh? He was able to interpret the dreams. He was able to reveal to them. And this is what the Spirit of God can do for you and me. Not that we're going to stand in front of our king and interpret a dream, but that he's going to elevate you to a position where you can do something so marvelous that people are going to say, wow, the Spirit of God is in that person. You have to want that. You've got to be thirsty for that. Because Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty can come to me and drink. Or you can be like Joshua in Numbers 27, 18. It says, and, Mo and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. It was God's Spirit that caused Joshua to be such a warrior. You know him, right? You've heard his You've heard the stories of Joshua, how he goes and, you know, captures and, and uh, advances the kingdom. That could be you and me if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives.
I want you to listen to this song. It talks about it's the same spirit that rose Jesus up from the dead. It's that same spirit that's available to you and me. And I want us to think about that as we listen to this song. I can see the waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face children singing out we will not be overtaken we will not be overcome the same power that rose Jesus from the grave the same power that commanded dead to wake lives in us lives in us the same Nothing we can't do Yes, we know There are greater things in store We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome The same power that rose Jesus from the grave The same power that commands the dead to wake Lives in us Lives in us
and me. I want you this morning to recognize that. I want you not to walk away from here, status quo. I'm telling you, we are losing time for our lives. I mean, every day that goes by, we lost it. But God's Spirit is wanting to dwell within you and empower you to face these situations. Be it at work, be it at home, relationships, finances, it doesn't matter because God says the Holy Spirit is so powerful, He's able to work within you. He's able to demonstrate to you. He is there to guide you. He's your teacher. He's there to audibly tell you what to do. As long as you don't have this going on, this heart of stone where you refuse to hear, where you refuse to walk in what he wants you to do. He has not called us, you know, to live this life, no matter how long or short, just, you know, from, oh, you know, I live my life, okay, I'm dead and gone. He has called us to actually walk in victory every day. He has not called you this morning to come and listen to me and go back to your problems and say, oh, God, what am I going to do? He's actually told you to come here and listen and go back and take control of this. Get down on your knees. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. Ask Him for the advice that He's willing to give you and then walk in it. Look at 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor hear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Are you walking this morning in this verse? Are you walking in a verse that says, nothing is, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the madness that's going on in my life, the struggles that's going on in my life. Are you walking in today in this verse which says, no man has seen or entered into the heart of man. Good things that God has prepared for those who love him. Accept that word from God. Make it yours this morning. Look at the mountains. Look at the raging seas. I love that song. It says, you, be, you call me to be brave. You call me out into the waters. You know, and you can be brave because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. So let's just spend a few moments in prayer. I want you to just think of what God has told you. And it's amazing how You know, we can stand here and talk and teach all we want, but we don't allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, all these words will be useless. I want you to take a few moments. Listen to what God's Spirit is telling you. Accept the counsel. Take it from Him. Shut things out. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Father God, we come to you this morning, broken as we are, frail as we are, but yet you've promised us your victory. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to empower us, to write in our hearts your minds, your thoughts, to whisper to us your ways. This morning, 
as individuals and as a church, we ask that your Holy Spirit would work within us to revive us and to show us what you want us to do. Father, you've said that you'd never leave us, that Jesus, you said, even as you left, you said, I am sending you the helper. And we thank you for that. This morning, we want to say that we do not want to live under the law, but under your righteousness. We thank you that you have made a way for us and that we are in right standing with you all the time because of what you've done for us. God, I pray that you'd put on us honor, that you'd put on us strength, that you'd put on us power and not guilt, shame, or death. That this morning we'd be able to recognize your love for us and the strength of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Talk to us. Change us. Make us more and more like you every day. This morning, if there's anyone here who's not had the opportunity to have this life transformation, this transplant of heart, this change where you have now been moved from death to life by accepting the work of Jesus on the cross. If there's anyone here who the Holy Spirit is beckoning you, who's, who's penetrating your heart and is showing you that you are sinful in need of a Savior. Don't be shy. Don't walk away from this. I want you to say this prayer with me. Father God, thank you for what you've done on the cross for me. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I repent. I turn from my ways. And I accept the work of Jesus. Come into my heart and teach me. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone of you has said that prayer for the first time or, you know, you feel like God's Spirit has moved you to a place where you need, you need prayer about this, please come up here. There's a prayer ministry. There's uh, folks here who would pray with you. Otherwise, if if you made this decision for the first time, meet our friends at the Connection Center. They have a small gift for you uh, that will kind of encourage you to walk in God's ways. So just before you go, the last thing is on your Connections card, uh, you know, there's a weekly challenge that we put out. So this week, uh, I've said, says, this week I will schedule a heart transplant. Now, I don't mean they should call your cardiologist and say I want a heart transplant, No says, I will trade my heart of stone for a heart of flesh. So, I pray that this week would be an awesome week for you, that you'd be able to see God's Holy Spirit leading you, talking to you, experiencing audibly what He wants to do for you, and, and then let it be a heart of flesh that He's able to write and turn and talk to, and you have a wonderful week, and God bless you.
kings